Welcome everybody to today's uh, Sunday service here at the Expanding Light at Ananda Village. And all of you here, of course, and also those of you who are joining us online. Now, all of us here know that yesterday was Rajasi Day and online, I'll explain, Rajasi Day is our annual all community work day. It's a day when we get together do all those chores, you might say spring cleaning type on a community-wide scale. And it's really, it was a wonderful day. It's such a wonderful turnout. Everybody comes, there's a spirit in the air. And I think everybody has fun, probably goes home a little bit tired. And as, as the years pass, we get more tired. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, but it's, it's, a, it's one of my favorite days every year to be able to participate in Rajasi Day. My, part of my job was preparing for today's Sunday service, so I uh, took time for that. But as I remembered this Rajasi Day, I remembered uh, we started Rajasi Day, I don't, we always had work days, uh, community-wide work days from the very inception of the community. There was always so much to do, the necessity for it was you know, omnipresent. And so we had work days, but at some point in probably in the late 70s, thereabouts, maybe some of you might remember more precisely, we, we began to dedicate, it, dedicate the day to Rajasi Janakananda, Yogananda's foremost disciple, who was a very successful businessman, by the way. And you know, we were affirming success for ourselves on the material plane by cleaning up the material plane, making it orderly. And that... Uh, when we dedicated that to Rajasi and we began that tradition some years after the starting of the community, we, somebody on that day made a very big banner. It spanned the road, all the way across the road, and it said, many hands make a miracle. And Swami, of course, saw that, and I was so glad that you inspirationally, I don't know, I didn't ask for that, but inspirationally they sang that many hands make a miracle. When Swami wrote the song, he said that banner, I don't know who came up with the words of that many hands make a miracle, but Swami liked it, inspired, and he put music and lyrics, of course, to that. And that's, you might say, since that time, it's been our theme song for Rajasi Day. So it was a wonderful day, and thank all of you for participating in that. Today's uh, topic is why do devotees fall? And you know, <laughs> we might. <laughs> but and of course, right at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, there was uh, that saying of how one thing leads to another. You're not always aware that you're thinking in terms of falling or you know things are going bad, but you're on a descending, you might say, arc. But some fall, some, you know, you fall quickly, you fall rapidly, or you're not even aware that you're falling, is so often the case. And I see a friend of mine here who reminds, remind, seeing him uh, remind, reminds me of a story we would tell one another many times. It comes from Swami Kriyananda. He would say a fellow was a little bit, he was deluded. He thought he could fly. So what he does, he goes up on the top of a roof of a 20-story building, and he casts himself forth. Halfway down, a fellow opens the window, 
and yells to him, how's it going? And he says, so far, so good. <laughs> we don't realize until we hit bottom. <laughs> Not so good. But I want to mention here, starting off, how do we fall? Why do we fall? Uh, Swami explains in Judas's situation. And my heart, you know, Judas has been... He's a great villain, you could say, historically. He's taken as that. But you can see, you know, in the Bible, of course, it's said that he commits suicide. My heart goes out to him. And I think our heart goes out to all those who make mistakes like that. Now, we have all made mistakes. Perhaps not as dramatic as Judas Iscariot. But nevertheless, every one of us has made mistakes. Swami used to say, he would tell, tell us, he said, all of us, at some time or another, we've gone through countless incarnations. We've been the pirate. We've been the hero. We've been the farmer. We've been the milkmaid. We've been the king. We've been the princess. We've been all of them. In the, and learning, little by little, learning the lessons and each time trying to find our satisfaction in one way or another. But all of us, inevitably, that king, perhaps he comes back to pauper next time. It didn't work out quite. He hit bottom. He fell, perhaps. We've been perhaps yogis in the past. I don't doubt it that we probably have. Maybe we were highly advanced yogis. Who knows? Then here we come, and maybe we're not quite as advanced. And we, so all of us are going through this up and down cycle. So before we start wondering, why did the people fall? Why that? And then, of course, we can't help but look back at ourselves. What about me? What about others? We have to be compassionate to ourselves and realize that this is a long road. As Swami said to Master, he says, does it always take so long? Thousands of years and incarnations, perhaps? So, yes desires, name, fame, all these things, they creep in and they take us away. And again and again and again. And here, imagine Judas, of course, even. And of course, Master did say, you know, as time passed, he was ultimately able to find his freedom in, uh, in incarnations after that. But it opens up our heart to that. But the important thing is, like in that dream that Swami Krinanda had. No, it wasn't Swami who had the dream. It was a brother disciple had what Swami described as a superconscious dream. And in this dream, this disciple, fellow brother monk, saw all of the monks running like on a race course, on a track perhaps. They were running a race course and it was running, running, running to the finish line. And the monk said, Everybody fell. And he was telling this to the other monks. He says, well, how about me? Yes, I saw you. You fell. You fell. And everyone fell. He says, then, slowly, but some, they just lay there for a while. And then slowly they got to knees. And slowly they got, maybe they started walking again a little bit. And then they started running. He says, but some... They fell and they got up quickly. And then Swami asked him, well, did you see me in there? He says, yes, you got up quick. <laughs> he got up quickly. 
And he says, and that's really, if we accept the fact that life is a series of ups and downs, and sometimes I hope they're not as dramatic as Judas, of course, in that, and they probably are not, but nevertheless, it's really about getting back up again and again and again, and how fast are we going to do that? And not hanging on to those excuses or those reasonings, that's like it's in the reading of introspection today, having the power that will to look within ourselves and say, what happened? Oh, I did it again, I did it again, I thought I learned, no, I didn't learn that. And we get up again and again and again, and leaving that behind, but sometimes we're prideful, you know, sometimes you make a mistake and you just, no, I did not, and everybody else, pretty obvious, but then, you know, and, or you deny it, no, I didn't, you know, it was not me, not really me, not my fault, you know, and, or, you know, perhaps the other side of it is you, you fall, you make a mistake, and you just don't want to get up, you're paralyzed. I don't want to do it, I just failed, I failed, I failed. Or perhaps, you know, the, your heart's been broken, your person falls in love and betrayed. My heart's broken, I'm never gonna love again. You know, and, but of course you know that, and we all know that instinctively and intuitively, that that's not the answer either. You've just gotta get up and keep going. But ideally, we've learned, we've learned something along the way. We've learned a lesson. And some, well, Master said, somebody asked Master actually, why doesn't the guru, because our guru there often is watching. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in the body, maybe, but you could say that uh, the masters, the great ones are waiting for us. Why didn't they help us? Well, they do help us, of course. And he says, but why did you let me suffer? And Master said, the masters allow the devotee to suffer if they see that that suffering is going to help them overcome that fault that'll take them in the direction of soul liberation. If they see that, that they're gonna learn, then they let them suffer you see, for their own good, because they've learned something. In the process, any of these failures that we have, if we learn from that, it's been a step in the right direction. You could say, it's, I didn't succeed yet, but the next time I will. But also, I would hope that all of us also, and I think it's intended, that, you know, they say, I've. I don't, I'm, I don't know this trade well enough, but they say if you want to tenderize meat, you beat it. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, I've heard that said. And I think sometimes Divine Mother beats us a little bit, <laughs> beats the heart to tenderize that heart a little bit so that we can have some compassion because people do make mistakes. And I remember a story from the very early days here at Ananda, this was uh, 1970s, early 70s. And Swami in those days, you know, all the spiritual activities in those days took place up at the meditation retreat. We didn't have a temple here and everything was there. So on Sunday, we'd all pack up to go up there and uh, classes were up there, everything spiritual nature was there. 
And we did have a little, we had a, a teepee temple once upon a time here, and we, one of the rooms upstairs above the market was a temple at one time. We did have little places like that, but not enough for big groups. So Swamiji, one year, early in 70s, he was going back to India. He was going to India, and he was going to go take a long trip there. And because there wasn't really a lot of other people, and he in those days did everything, you know, all the classes, all pretty much everything. Jyotish maybe a little bit in there too, but Jyotish was mostly down at the farm here, this here. And so Swamiji wanted to make sure that the spiritual activities continued, everything. He pointed a little group, little group of people, you take care of it while I'm gone, do the services and classes. And there's a group of handful. And uh, he went. Well, that winter, one of those fellows on that group was a married man who fell into a, an affair, a relationship with a lady there. And it was betrayal of his wife. And this ultimately, you can't keep these things secret, you know. These, <laughs> then uh, eventually this comes to light. And he was part of that team that was supposed to hold the spiritual together. And so the others on the team were very upset. So what they, what they did is they unanimously, everybody, dismissed him. He says, you can't do Sunday service. You can't do anything spiritual here again. You know, and they were angry. And the fellow was very shaken by that. And he ended up... Uh, leaving, moved down here to this area, farm here for a little while. And eventually he, he left because he, was, he had felt this very severe rejection. And Swami returned. And uh, I happened at that time to have a meeting about something uh, with Swamiji, and it was a con private conversation. And uh, Swami says, oh, Jaya, uh, let me ask you something. I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, he's gonna ask, put me on the spot. And he, he says, uh, what do you think about this situation with so-and-so that happened? And I thought, oh, that's, and I thought about it a moment. I thought, what am I gonna say? And uh, I says, well, Swamiji, Swami, uh, it's a very, very unfortunate, but I really don't, agree with what happened there <laughs> and I just don't agree with what happened how he was treated and I hadn't said anything to anybody but um, and Swami paused for a moment and he said if your friends won't help you and support you in a time of trouble when do you expect they will help you and that was very true, it stuck with me. So the ability to be loyal to a friend, loyal to somebody who has fallen perhaps, if we wanted to find that, just say that's a fallen soul there. And of course he made a mistake, he made a big mistake. But that's the time when a person needs help, when somebody has made a mistake. And the tendency sometimes is to pile it on, you, you, might, you might say, and so, it was a very good lesson for me to remember that, you know, because all of us, 
you know, I mean, in the Christian tradition, they were all sinners. And, but Swami didn't want us to ever say that because that's an identification. And he was so very, uh, as we all know, he had a, in his parting from self-realization fellowship, he had a little, he had a differences with some of the people there. But he said he had a great respect for Taramata, even though he had big difference with her, because she, in her earlier days, when she came to the ashram there with Master, left and went off, perhaps to pursue some worldly goals. I don't know what the reasoning was. But as she, she went, and it didn't work out for her, and she came back, and one of the other monks, or nuns, said to her, how can you dare show your face here again after, what you, after you're leaving? And Taramata said, what? Do you want me to worship my mistakes? <laughs> and it, she didn't, you see, now her. And so in the same thing, we take that, we make mistakes. We're all fallen at some point in our lives and perhaps just fallen in our own expectations for ourselves. But remember, don't worship those mistakes. The best thing to do, you set them aside, rectify to whatever we can do, and then go forward and do the best we can to, you might say, repair that karma or to start anew, to fix it. But if we hang on to it and we identify with it, we embed it within ourselves. So that's, you could say, the, to remember uh, when we discuss this topic of why do devotees fall and how do they fall, keep that in mind. But we don't want to be cavalier about it either. Well, I'm going to have another chance. I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's the big deal? I'm gonna, you know, I'll just get up and try it again. Now there's a positive side of that, but the negative side of that is there's a correlation. Just like that fellow who jumped out the window, it's painful when you hit bottom. <laughs> Very painful. Suffering and mistakes tend to go together. And that's what makes it, you could say, a mistake. It's a blunder. When you make a blunder, you suffer. And even though you don't want to, you know, you may deny it, inside there's something there that's gnawing at you. I gotta, I gotta get this right. So don't be cavalier thinking, well, I've got a lot of chances, but it's a lot of chances to suffer. And we don't want that. And so consequently, there's certain things we might, I'd like, when I thought about this subject of why do devotees fall, I thought of some, you might say, some warning signs that we might keep in mind. You know, because everybody's got their own story. Everybody has their own situation of what causes them to, to um, you know, stumble. And so it's hard to generalize, but there are certain things. And you could, I think you could put all of them under the larger heading of falling out of tune. If you're in tune, you could say that you're, you might, you're floating on a wave of grace with the Guru's grace and things are, you're, that's where you should be. But so you could say they're all under this being out of tune. And we look at Judas as an obvi obviously he was out of tune and to betray your Guru like that. But nevertheless, more specifically, I think some of the things that occurred to me and maybe a couple of thoughts of what we might positively do is, First thing is, one of the things that is a warning sign is indifference, spiritual indifference. 
the great enemy of the spiritual path. I, I just don't care. It doesn't mean much to you. You remember when you first came on to the spiritual path consciously? I mean, for me, it was, I would say it was, I mean, we enter, we enter at different times, but that moment when I read the autobiography and I was so inspired, I wanted to do something about it. I ended up, my life began to change and that inspiration carried me. Now, inevitably, it begins, that inspiration, you know, it's hard to hold on to that, but we don't want to let it to get what we would call indifference. You don't care anymore. You don't, you don't, you just are going through the motions and we look at ourselves and I think it's time to analyze ourselves once in a while. Introspection here is the tool that we are using. Introspect. Where, what do you feel? Are you, are you indifferent? Are you participating? Did you show up for the work today? Did you, did you, what happened? All of these things and you care. And the question becomes, okay, I care, but what do you care about? When you come onto the spiritual path, we have this burning desire for God. All seems possible. We feel the Guru's presence, the Guru's there, Guru's meaningful, and we ride on that grace. And then, inevitably, it cools. But our job, we know it, is to rekindle that and keep that fire of divine aspiration. I want God, I want Guru's presence to the degree that we can. Of course, then we fend that off because life we know is like that. It's ups and downs and plateaus perhaps in between. The second thought that came to mind is, and this is, you can find there's a long list of these things which are called obstacles to the spiritual path in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. But another one is the, what you might call missing the point, missing the point. And I think this is what uh, in other writings is Judas missed the point. He didn't understand what the spiritual path, what his disciples, he didn't understand Christ, what Christ's mission was. They saw it on a level that missed the point. And oftentimes, it's easy to come on to the spiritual path to start meditating and to start getting involved in your organization. And I think of, you know, we've probably all read the biography of, of St. Francis Assisi. And at the end, there's this play, you might say, as some of the biographers wrote between him and Brother Elias, whose brother Elias saw the potential for a great work that Francis could do, or if we just got organized, Francis, if we just got organized. And he missed the point of what was really trying to happen there. No, that's not to say, I'm not trying to make a dig at organization, but at the, not at the expense of the spiritual spirit, rules over spirit and to be able to slowly, slowly miss the point. And oftentimes that creeps in. We can even, it can creep into our sadhana. I got a medit oh, yep. meditation, I got this much time, I got to meditate this much, I got this many kriyas to do, I got to do. And we begin to substitute technique and practices for the spirit of why we're doing that. 
God's presence has to be in there as well. And so again, we miss the point, just doing my routines. And if I'm good, sticking it out to the end, as Master said, some people, you can't just stick it out to the end, just on routine without also having the spirit. So this is, this is the second one. Another one you might say is, and this is what I look at myself, because I'm subject to this, and I notice that, oh, you know, I don't, I tend to be a little bit myself. I, I like my privacy. I'm kind of a loner a little bit. And I notice that, am I going to those satsangs? No, nah, I don't want to go to the satsang this day. Am I, am I going to that work day? No, no, I'm not going to work day. Am I going to the, you know, and in other words, I'm avoiding satsang and participation with those people around me who can give me the support I need when I need that support, but maybe don't even realize it. You see, because there is a tendency when we begin to, you might say, slip away, we, we tend to want to isolate ourselves a little bit from other people. It's like the person who is grumpy. They don't want to be around cheerful people. You know, they're just kind of annoying. You know, these people all happy and, you know, we're going to be happy about it. And we tend to isolate ourselves and back away from that. And that's, that's a danger sign if we find ourselves separating ourselves. But I think we also have to look at what are the positive things we can do. And I, I remember Swami Kriyananda, and I think it was summed up in something he said. One is, I'll just say it's, it's satsang. Things like we're doing right here, to be in the company of other people through osmosis, we begin to find our spirits are lifted. We don't know how that happens exactly, but we feel, oh, I went, yeah, I don't know what he said, I don't, but I feel better, you know, and then it, it feel better. And it's, it's, it's not here, it's not the person up here, it's all of us together aspiring. We support each other, and that's the beauty of spiritual community. In that environment, we uplift one another. All of us, of course, have to realize that, and if we do, assume the responsibility to actually participating in that as keeping other people's spirits up, one another, keep one another spirits up. But something Swami said in India, he, some, uh, an, a radio, or maybe it was television, I think, uh, came to interview him and was doing a little in his house there. And uh, asked a very, the moderator asked a very simple question. He says, Swamiji, how would you define your, in a few words, how would you define your life? You're elderly now, looking back. And Swami said two things. Guru Bhakti, Guru Seva. And in a sense, that I think those two qualities really do sum it up. In a sense, love conquers all. You could say, what, what does it mean in tune? In tune is, in, is to be harmonious with the Guru's vibration to vibrate and it is to be. And what is the quality that puts us most in tune? It's love. Love is being, divine love is being perfectly in tune with the divine. And to, to focus on that, 
So oftentimes when we find ourselves perhaps slipping, being indifferent, you'll notice that a person indifferent probably is not filled with divine love. You know, I mean, it's just antithetical. You might say you don't love devotion. Get devotion, as Master would say. Get devotion, get devotion. And to the cult, the cultivation of that. Now, loving, in, in this case, Swamiji said Guru Bhakti, love in the sense of directed toward his guru. Open your heart to me and I will enter and I will take charge of your life. Think about that and make that, is our heart open? Have you opened your heart? If you feel, see, this is where the introspection comes in. So Because we, we often don't know. It's, how are you doing? Well, so far, so good. But then you hit bottom. If you can kind of see what's happening to yourself and be, have that quality, then you could begin to see Guru Bhakti and the other one, Guru Seva. And again, here, I'll tell one story. How do we, how do we, what is Guru Seva? And how do we, how might that keep us in tune? In those early years, again, going back to the 1970s, I asked Swamiji, because uh, he was stressing this, master stress, be in tune, get in tune, stay in tune, to his disciples, not publicly. And, you know, it makes you realize that he probably was saying attunement is more important than meditation, than all of these outer techniques, practices, if they don't bring you in tune, you know, is that going to be helping? Well, in the, for the devotee, for the disciple, but to the disciples, he would emphasize that, get in tune. Well, he would say that, and then he would, uh, in a private conversation with me and a few other people, we were in a very small group, and uh, we were talking about this, and he was talking about it, and uh, he said, and somebody asked him, one of us asked him, said, Swamiji, how do we get in tune with you? You know, we put him on the spot. How do we get in tune with you? I want to be in, you know, this person, I want to be in tune with you. I want, because, you know, through you, I've made me in tune with Guru. How do I get in tune with you? And Swamiji was a very interesting response. And he was quite strong about it, actually. He, he looked at, the, you know, answered this person, what he was answering all of us, because we all chipped in, you know, yeah, yeah. And he says, I want you to understand, it's not about me. You know, and he really emphasized, it's not about me. And what he was meaning by that is not about his personality, not about Swami Kriyananda, not about you know, uh, the outer trappings. He says, if you want to be in tune with me, if you want to be in tune, focus on what I am doing and try to help me. You know, so consequently, it was, and I've used this image many times, that he was saying, don't look at me, but stand, come right here and let us together look at that which is God and Guru. Look at that, and you're, but you're not gonna see that unless you get right here with me, you see? And so he was putting the focus on, and how do you do that? 
And I think this is what Master said when he says, if you want to be in tune with me, serve my work. And why? He said, when you serve your, to serve the work, you have to be, to truly serve the work, you put yourself in tune with what those goals and aspirations and what the guru was trying to do, and in this case, Swami was trying to do. He says, I need help. Sir, if you help me, and in the process of standing right by him, metaphorically or allegorically, but anyway, right by him, and doing the same thing, we'd be in the same spot, and I'd be a teammate. Be my teammate. Be my, you know, right here. Help me. And I thought, and that when he said that, a light bulb went off in my mind. Ah, I had, you see, been looking at the person. Well, maybe if I... I always joke this, but maybe if I got to like P.G. Woodhouse, I would be in tune. <laughs> and I tried and tried and tried. You know, it took me a long time. <laughs> but you see how that was off. That wasn't what he was saying. You don't have to like what I like, do what I do. But, you know, me, personally, as a person, but together, let us look here toward Master and in the, in the closest you can get to that, and let's work together. And I found that that's true. You get in, and what we're doing, and what Rajasi Day is an example of, is not just cleaning up, you know, the front porch, or dusting out of the temple. These are good things to do, but if in done in the right spirit through Guru Seva, we're doing it together in a common goal and we're aiming for a common goal, and many hands make a miracle when they come together for common aspiration. And that's what that's Guru Seva. And our life needs to be that all the time. Together, we're serving in a common. I won't become like you, and I won't become like you, and you're not going to become like me. And that's not important. It's that what's important is that we share this goal and we work together. And in the doing of that, we attune ourselves, and naturally, we understand. You know, man, you can hear the teachings, hear the teachings, hear the teachings, but you won't understand the meaning of the teachings. You just be parrot. And to understand the meaning of something, we have to get in tune with it. And then, intuitively, we come to the understanding of it. And so, how did devotees fall? Well, you know, so far so good. <laughs> attunement, I think, is the answer. Keeping that attunement and doing whatever's possible to make sure Guru's presence, Guru, Guru Seva, Guru Bhakti, Satsang. I would leave it at those three. God bless you all.
let's all join hands together. Life on earth is so wonderful when people laugh and dance and struggle as friends. They all their dreams achieve their ends. Many hands make a miracle. People climbing together. Soon we reach to the pinnacle of every mountain peak. Oh, no. 